You're tuned to Local Motion, KVNF's weekly public affairs program. I'm your host, Lisa Young. Joining me today are Jackie Felix, administrator of the Delta County Detention Center Jail-Based Behavioral Health Services Program, and Joel Watts, owner-founder of Integrated Insight Community Care in Delta. In May of 2018, the Colorado General Assembly passed Senate Bill 18250, which at that time allocated $5.1 million in additional funding to the Jail-Based Behavioral Health Services program, also known as JBBS, to address gaps in services for mental health disorder screening, assessment, diagnosis, and treatment. JBBS has been operational since 2011 using funding from the Correctional Treatment Cash Fund. The jail-based program aims to provide appropriate behavioral health services to inmates while supporting care within the community after release from incarceration. To carry out the JBBS program, sheriff departments in Colorado partner with local community providers who can demonstrate the ability to provide services within the jail and provide or link individuals releasing from jail to free or low-cost services in the community. This approach is meant to shorten jail sentences and decrease recidivism through better identification and treatment of behavioral health needs. Here now are Jackie Felix and Joel Watts on Delta County's Detention Center's JBBS program, administrated by Integrated Insight Community Care in Delta, Colorado, also under the supervision of Sheriff Mark Taylor and Detention Captain Daniel Cano. I'd like uh, for each of you to tell me a little bit about yourselves and how you became interested in working with Delta County inmates and then your role at Integrated Insight Community Care. And Jackie, I want to start with you on that. Uh, we'll start with you and then we'll go to Joel. Okay. Um, I initially started out working for the sheriff's office as their detention control officer. So I ran what they call the control pod. Um, and so I was in charge of security, opening and closing doors, tracking inmate movement, um, scheduling appointments for public defenders, et cetera, to come in and out of the jail. So I familiarized myself with the workings of the jail, the policies and procedures, um, you know, obviously became friends with the detention staff, but then was also um, very familiar with all of the inmates um, because we have a high recidivism rate. You would often saw, you know, the same people coming in over and over again. Um, so I am a go-getter and I realized that that position as much as I enjoyed it and appreciated working there, there wasn't a lot of potential for growth um, and then actually Joel kind of approached me and said, you know, hey, you're already in here. You have a great working relationship with everybody. Would you consider coming on board as a case manager with JBBS? And um, it seemed like a natural fit. I'm empathetic by nature. I could see that there was an issue. Um, and there were all of these working pieces that I don't think people were identifying. And I was able to look at that and say, we can bring this all together. It's like a big puzzle. You know, and if I can pull this piece from this person and this piece from this person, you know, and put it together, we can have a program that's going to be really successful. And yeah, I had great support from JBBS on the state level. I have a person that I look to as a mentor, and Becky Huckabee is her name. And she was able to answer any and all questions that I had along the way. It was completely non-judgmental, made me feel like I was already rocking it. And um, so, yeah, that's how I got into it. And, and I just now I can't imagine doing anything different. 
How about you, Joel? Tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got involved in working with Delta County inmates, and then, of course, your role here at Integrated Insight Community Care. My name is Joel Watts. I'm an LPC, and I am the founder of Integrated Insight Community Care. We just recently rebranded, and we continue to expand. Getting involved with the jail was because I think that I think that the jail was looking to maybe see if they could step up the services a couple of years ago. Integrated at the time was still very new, and the sheriff took a little bit of faith and put it into us, and that was great. And in doing so, we had a therapist there. I did not have to worry about that. It was it was absolutely for my pride. We were able to work with that, and I think develop what we hoped would become something of the norm. And I think we are are seeing that today is that warm handoff. So if somebody is coming from the jail, we want to get them into services as soon as possible. We also want to work with people in the side of the jail to help them have the services that they need. Because if jail-based therapy is only symptom management. You're going to see a lot of recidivism. We have to do better. And so one of the things, one of the, the high points of getting involved with the jail was that we got to prove that when you do better, you get better results. And so that's that's really why we got involved. And of course, when our previous therapist left, I got more involved as the jail-based therapist. So I was spending several days a week over there in the middle of growing, in the middle of my other client caseload seeing inmates and or people experiencing incarceration and so starting to provide therapy there inside and then seeing them out and helping them navigate that that transition as well as using that experience to help better our um, warm handoff protocols what is jail-based behavioral health services here in delta county and so it is a state-funded program that is available to jails or facilities across the state of Colorado. Um, and we provide substance use counseling and screening as well as mental health screening and services for that. And um, we've just added a more intensive MAP program, which is medical assisted treatment um, for the opioid crisis that we're seeing now um, that is nationwide. And so in addition to those services, we also do case management. So we are working as liaisons between the public defenders, the probation officers, our community resources, helping them get identifying documents like birth certificates and driver's licenses. We're putting them through life skills trainings, how to fill out a job application, um, job interview prep, how to deal with anger management. Basically everything that they're going to need to have a successful reintegration into the community. Um, but we don't just turn them out into the community anymore, which used to be a thing. Now we can refer them straight over to integrated community care or they can follow up with their medical care if they need um, therapy, if they need substance abuse or substance use classes. All of those are resources that we have available in the community now. And I think really that that's what has made JBBS grow. And um, here is integrated community care has those services available where so many other agencies on the Western Slope don't. Yeah, they're they're kind of lacking that. Really what makes this unique from what I'm hearing is that it goes beyond just that initial contact in the in the county jail. Joel, I want to talk to you about the history. Um, my understanding, again, is that this is state-funded. So the county sheriff and the county uh, commissioners have to be on board with this program. Uh, they have to opt in to get the funding because not all Colorado counties are a part of this program. Tell me a little bit about the history. So it's my understanding that actually the previous sheriff is the one who brought it in. And so he brought it in. It is a state-funded program, and you're right. Not a lot of counties, or not in my opinion, every county should, but not every county does. 
take these funds. And Sheriff Taylor has, I think he's seen the benefit of it. So he continues to support the program. And you're right, the county commissioners have to be involved. I would like to tell you that it's been in Delta County for about 10 years. And I think Sheriff Taylor may have had that um, exact date a little bit more. So this previously, the Center for Mental Health, which no longer exists, of course, uh, had the contract. We took it about three years ago. And, and we still have the contract. And I think we're doing really good with it. As far as funding goes, it is through the state. It's through BHA. And so it's a grant. The county accepts the grant. The county then can find a contractor to fulfill the demands of the grant. Because inside of that grant, inside the templates and all this other stuff that Jackie and I deal with, you have all of the requirements of how to run a JBBS program. And it's great to meet the minimal requirements. But what I think Jackie does and through her leadership is actually go on above and beyond, which is why we are seeing some success with decreasing recidivism helping them connect to services and getting us where we, I hope, need to be and make our communities better. You reference BHA. For our listeners who will not know what that is, what is BHA? So BHA is the successor to OBH, which is a couple more acronyms. OBH was the Office of Behavioral Health. This is the Behavioral Health Administration. So Governor Polis, a couple of years ago, raised it to a cabinet-level position, I believe, and which is great because it allows more of more access, more notability to mental health in Colorado. So it governs certain providers. It governs the way we handle certain things, and it helps us to have a more coherent message on approaching, whether it's our substance use using population or criminal justice population. And it seems to be geared to the idea that we should all kind of be on the same page. It's assessment driven. We have all of these nice requirements, and that way people are more often doing things when we're on, we're treating people like they need to be treated. I want to go back to you, Jackie, and let's talk a little bit about who's involved. Um, my understanding is that it's voluntary from those who get incarcerated. Walk me through what it would be like for someone who first walks in the door, they're going through all the booking, the processing to go into the, the county jail. At what point do you get involved and how do you let them know about the services? Um, essentially, so they come in, they go through the booking process, and there's a three-stage screening. So they're screened um, by the detention officers during the booking process with this list of questions that they have to answer. Those cover alcohol dependency, drug dependency, medical history, and um, mental health history. They then go through a next screening process through our nurses, um, which is Southern Health Partners, who we contract with at the jail. Those same set of questions are asked there. Then generally, one of those two or both will come to me and say, you know, this person answered this or this or this. And um, at that time, I determine their level of um, emergency, essentially. If I know somebody that has been in in the past and is supposed to be on mental health meds, they come in, it's obvious that they're not. I get them in my office enrolled in in front of a provider within 24 hours if I can. If it's somebody that say has been prescribed mental health meds, went out into the community, chose to self-medicate with drugs, has not followed up with any of their aftercare, then they have a waiting period. I am a very big proponent on, you're gonna have to help yourself before I help you. Um, I will guide you every step of the way. I will give you all of the tools and all of the resources, but I'm not going to do the work for you. And so there's a little bit of a level of accountability, but that is how it's determined. So everybody that has a substance use disorder or a mental health disorder or a history of is eligible. Um, they are not required to enroll. And once they enroll, they're not required to participate. 
um, but we have the services there available for them and they can be as engaged or as disengaged as they want to be. Let's talk about percentages. I worked in a correctional facility, it was all male inmates. So the, the county jail system's different. You have males and females uh, there at the facility. Uh, obviously, at least to me, the male population is going to be higher than the female population. But what about uh, what about that breakdown? What does it usually run? I, I know that it varies. Because there is a higher male population, I have more male enrollments. That's just kind of been given. And so across the board, I have about a 45% enrollment of inmates at all time, whether we have 60 inmates or 27 like we do today. I'm, I sit consistently at the 45 percentile. Um, I would say that those numbers are higher in men because we have more male inmates, but the female inmates tend to engage more in services. Yeah, along those lines, do, could you maybe share a couple of uh, success stories? Um, you don't have to necessarily share names, but kind of give our listeners a feel for what you see, not so much numbers, but just what do you see from someone who, who comes in and goes through? And I know that at some point the program, they may go out of, uh, out of the area to some other facility, but what do you see within the jail setting? And, and Joel, this is probably something also for you as far as your wraparound services, but what, what kind of success stories can you share with me? I'll go with you and then I'll go with Joel on that. Um, I have a couple of different scenarios actually, and one of them involves several of my JBBS clients that have completed the program within the jail and then were handed off to in Integrated Insights who have completed everything that they're supposed to complete and have gone on to become peers for us. Um, and we have several of those. And that is 100% on Joel that has understood that these people you know, are coming from a place where they want to do better. We have to not only provide the tools and the resources for them to do that, but let's give them a hand up and, you know, use their living experience as a tool to help others in the community to see that, you know, there is a way out. Um, and then I did have another young gentleman in the community that his family was from here. He kept coming in, he kept coming in and his family, um, they were not sober and he knew that. And he knew that if he continued to go back to them, that he would not be a success story. And I was able to use some of the JBBS travel funds to purchase him a one-way ticket to out of state to go live with his grandparents um, who were both sober. And he right away got a job working for his aunt at the family restaurant um, and has continued down his path of sobriety and is doing very well. And uh, his mom actually reached out to me not too long ago just to say thank you, you know, thank you for believing in him and recognizing that he needed that change. And so we treat every single person as an individual. You know, we're not treating the facility, we're treating them individually as they come in, we're looking at their story, at their past. If we put them back out of the community and they choose not to engage, what's going to happen? You know, maybe it's better for them to go to another county or somewhere where they have a chance and breaking that cycle and breaking that friend group. Um, so we look at everything across the board. You're listening to Locomotion on KBNF. I'm Lisa Young. My guests today are Jackie Felix, Administrator of the Delta County Detention Center's Jail-Based Behavioral Health Services Program, and Joel Watts, Owner-Founder of Integrated Insight Community Care in Delta. Let's return to the program. 
And what about you, Joel? Um, and let's try to set this up for our listeners too, because while they're incarcerated and you have contact with them, you're going through the assessment, you're setting up some of the, the counseling and everything. You have a counselor who comes to the, the jail, but if this person's incarcerated for a short amount of time, which often happens, then is that where integrated inside community care comes in? Kind of give us a picture of how that looks. So in both instances, actually integrated does the one handoff. So it's our therapist who goes in, we're able to maintain um, a cohesive EHR so that we're all seeing the notes, all the good stuff. That's, and of course, short term is where integrated also comes in because Jackie can call and say, hey, this person might need some case management and they may be able to use one of our transitional housing elements that we have in the city for women and, and men as well. So we're able to find sometimes those situations that need a little bit more thinking outside the box, we can provide services that way. As far as successes go, I think the best successes, we don't see them go back. We, we, don't, we don't necessarily have a way to track who doesn't go back, except when they keep going back, we, we, know, we know who they are. And so it's always good to go, it's one and done. This person received services, they're still in service, but they're not going back. So that's a success. So the goal is not to go back to, to jail, not to go back into the system, not to become a a repeat offender to deal with your mental health or substance abuse issues, or maybe a combination of both where someone has both mental health issues, substance abuse issues, which are pretty tough to deal with to get folks through all of that. But it feels like where the success of the program is, is that you're starting from when they when they come in, you're moving them through a, a program that's very well set and very well defined to try to help these people move back into society and not become, you know, repeat offenders. So what are some of the uh, programs that you have? I think we listed some of the wraparound services. You have Impact, Success Home, and LEAD. Do you want to tell me a little bit about how those work and how they work with the JBBS program? So ideally what you see with Success House is women who are the criminal justice or the DHS system. Maybe their current legal situation is either homeless or they're being forced to live with people who may otherwise abuse them. How can they get sober? How can they avoid jail? How can they get their life a little bit more straightened out if they have to go back to the same environment? So we started Success House as a way to help women find a place that they can have a good launching pad. So you don't have to go back to that level of abuse. You don't have to go back to that level of use. So if you can stay there and we don't charge them, we give them anywhere from three to six months, sometimes longer, depending on their success and their need, is a way to help them develop their own skills and sometimes their own savings account so they can go get a house on their own. Our impact is part is, is male and female and helps people in the pre or, or post or pre-competency and post-competency systems where so if they are their competencies raised they have to sit in jail waiting for restoration we can actually put them in our impact house and help them avoid that jail get 10 to 12 hours of therapy peer case management work a week and that helps them once they head of the jail and keeps them hopefully able to be stable so that their charges are either reduced or they're able to stand for their charges and they were able to go have a better life and so we've actually had several successes with that um we were able to offer services to 17 men and women last year, and we had 15 successful. I'm curious about how this all works with the courts, because 
You know, if you don't have some kind of working relationship with the core, the seventh judicial district, a lot of this would would disintegrate at that point. Uh, that's a huge part of it. Um, tell me a little bit about how that works. I think it takes being very, very honest with the judges and advocating for the judges and advocating for the judges, um, advocating for the clients and advocating for the clients does not always mean, hey, I want them out of jail. It sometimes means that you have to advocate for the client to receive the benefits of certain consequences. And I think the judges respect our our opinions on certain things. And because we're able to present it in a, in a generally fair and cohesive way. And so we are there to advocate for clients, especially at our impact, our success house program. We will also go and help clients, some of our clients who may have had a slip up and they get rearrested and they're on, on bond and we will go actually advocate for them as much as we can inside that. So we also work with the district attorney's office and the public defender's office as well. Yeah, try to find an outcome that works but not avoid the consequences of a negative behavior because I, I think some people are sitting there maybe going, well, is this some kind of get out of jail free card? And it's it's not that at all, right, Jackie? It's, it's not about that. It's about taking responsibility, right? Right, it is about taking responsibility. And we have to keep in mind that, you know, there are still victims in the community you know, to the crimes that these people have been incarcerated for. Um, now, the reason behind their crimes is most likely addiction or mental health disorders, and that's what we're addressing. We're not denying the fact that the crime has been committed and that there is a victim to that crime, but we're trying to get them the help that they need so that those crimes are not repeated and that the community is safer. I'd like to talk about in-custody pre-restoration education that goes with our, our our impact program. So when clients are arrested for pick a reason, and generally these are misdemeanors, I think we've had a few on competency that were felony, but for the misdemeanors, trespassing because of mental health issues and they cannot defend themselves. Because, and that's the difference between competency and insanity, please. Competency says I can't participate in my defense, but maybe I could. And so what we do is they, they're generally sent off to either the state hospital at a certain tier or a rapo at a second tier for ideally impact where we can help them with medication, with primary care, with therapy, with education, with MRT, a whole host of interventions so that we can get them ready to participate in their defense. On the outside, they're also going to access health systems to participate in outpatient restoration which is a lot of it is that education piece of the criminal justice system. What Jackie was able to do was to get Delta secured as I think the first rural. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same thing, but it's inside the jail so that people are able to learn through a book, through a process, through education process of how to um, how the coins work. And that's really what competency is, is that you are generally unable to participate in the defense due to mental health issues, competency, it helps to get them restored. One instance is a story that I, I tell people is that in, in the courtroom, we had someone who was asked, can you participate in your, can you tell your attorney how you want to be defended? And the person turned to their attorney for about 30 seconds and then turned back to the judge and said, oh, absolutely, I, I can. And at that point, well, the judge was obligated to say, well, there's no competency here. So at that point, I was able to say, um, Your Honor, would you ask this person how they intend to communicate? And the question was asked to the client or to the 
to the inmate, I guess, full telepathically, Your Honor. So at that point, competency was raised, and that person became stuck in the jail for a while until they could get outpatient restoration arranged. And that's what we're talking about, is when people are committing acts because of mental health, yes, it's a it's a public safety risk, but at the same time, can we restore them to make sure they get balanced, get off the substances, get out of the situations they're in, so that they can return to a normal, somewhat normal way of living. And what Jackie's able to do inside the jails do the same thing for people who meet certain qualifications that maybe not require as much therapy, but they can still go through this. I think the process is six weeks. Six weeks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it's important to understand that from the time competency is raised until another evaluation can be done to determine whether they've been found competent is 90 days. So, and at the end of that 90 days, if they're found incompetent, then they stay in the facility until a bed is available at the state hospital or another facility. So what we're doing is reducing that time that our person is in custody in our jail and can get the help that they need. Because the bottom line is, is with the institutions across the state, you know, we have very few and they have very limited beds and very limited staff. And so the jails have now almost become the institutions and the detention staff is not trained to handle that. And so bringing in this pre-restoration education from the minute competency is raised, you know, we're speeding up that process. Are these uh, inmates in this situation, are they housed differently than the general population? Or do they still participate like all the other inmates in general population coming out for meals and, and all of that? Or does it just depend on individual basis? It is 100% individual. Um, you know, they're always housed differently if they are a threat to themselves or others. Um, but we have some that are housed in general population that may just have a different grasp on reality than the rest of the population in there. You know, they might have an understanding of the court process, but their delusions are so far in the left field that they can't stay on track with what's going on in the courts. And so it's about reining them in, educating them, explaining to them what the process is and what they need to say, how they need to do it um, in order to keep moving forward. Is there more training happening for detention staff? I mean, I, as a former corrections officer, I think that would have been very helpful. I don't remember having any of that training, you know, before I went into a facility where there were plenty of inmates who were taking a lot of medications and had a lot of mental health issues. Um, is, is that changing, Joel, or are they getting more training, or Jackie, whoever wants to field the question? What, what's happening for the detention staff? We are working on it. Um, I do have money set aside in the budget for training for detention staff specifically. Um, the last two years in a row, they've been able to participate in mental health first aid. Um, now we're doing fentanyl education and Narcan education um, because that is a real issue. You know, and as our detention staff is growing and our jail is growing, we're seeing more and more need, you know, for the de detention staff to be trained in that. And luckily, the sheriff and Captain Cano are on board with it. They understand that this is not a problem that's going to go away. And the more people that we have on board and on the same page, you know, then the more successful we're going to be. I just want to talk about Narcan for a moment. Are there Narcan kits in the detention center that have availability for staff to use? And have they been trained to your knowledge? There are kits. We have kits available in the nurse's office. And every deputy that is on duty has one on their duty belt. 
Um, I have one in my office, and then anybody that is enrolled in the MAP program is given a kit upon discharge. Tell me why, because some people may say, why are, why are individual like inmates who are being released given that kit? What's the thought behind that? The thought behind that is that there is a possibility that they're going to go out onto the street and use. It is harm reduction is what it is. That's the idea behind the MAP program and is to make sure that we may not be able to keep them sober, but we can keep them alive. Yeah. There's no way you can help somebody if they're dead. I mean, the bottom line is that addiction and mental health don't discriminate. I don't think there's a single person in this community or this state who hasn't been touched by one or the other in some form. You know, we're dealing with a real issue and it is an ever-growing issue. And as drugs especially continue to grow and prices decrease and new ones come out, you know, we're, we're seeing and treating different addictions all the time. And those addictions go hand in hand with mental illness. So it's, it's not a problem that's going to go away. So if we can treat them in the facility, even better if we can get to them before they're arrested, which is what the LEAD program is about. If we can address these issues on the street, keep them from even coming into the facility, um, then it's only, only going to increase the safety of the community. And that's the overall goal. Thank you for joining us on Local Motion, and special thanks to Jackie Felix, administrator of the Delta County Detention Center's Jail-Based Behavioral Health Services Program, and Joel Watts, owner, founder of Integrated Insight Community Care in Delta. Local Motion airs every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. and every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. right here on KVNF, your mountain-grown community radio for Western Colorado.